God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. God bless and welcome to another episode of Family Discussion. My name is Marcos Ortega. I am one of your hosts, and as always, I am joined by the incomparable Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you today? I'm doing well, Marcos. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a crazy beginning of the year. Um, you, you would think after Advent that church life would kind of chill out a little bit, mm. but uh, not so much. Not up here in the Northeast. It just keeps going. So it's been, uh, feels like Christmas was eight years ago or something like that. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but no, things are good on our end. How are you doing? Oh, I'm, you know, I'm doing well. Um, you know, my job, it, a big part of my job is uh, putting events together. And so we're having an event next Saturday for Lunar New Year, which, you know, probably more better known as Chinese New Year, but they're really not the same thing. Um, and we do that in collaboration with a local art museum. And so I, you know, kind of in the, I'm in the middle of that. Um, so it's been a crazy, needless to say, it's been a crazy day. And, and I've learned what comes with this job also are radio and TV appearances and people like to start early. So I'm gearing up for that <laughs> next week um, and getting my caffeine ready because that's not something I did in the social service world. <laughs> no, you see, what's happening, Lisa, is you're becoming a, uh, a Roanoke celebrity. Oh, no, and, no, say and it's so you're not gonna have so. To, you're going to have to make sure you've got your TV appearances and your radio <laughs> interviews all ready to go. Oh, that's fantastic. So, um... It has been a crazy year for both of us, but it is a crazy year out in the world as well. So we record these episodes a little bit uh, ahead of time. That way, if we can't meet, we don't have a big dead zone in the middle of the season, right? Right. Um, so we're recording these right now toward the end of January, which means if you flip on any news station, it is high impeachment season. Um, the trial for the president is happening right now as we speak in the Senate. Um and it is, it is highlighting, yet again, the huge divide between Christians on political issues. And um, if our listeners have listened to the first episode of this season, they know that we are going to press into some of these social and political issues, especially on areas where we disagree, because what we've diagnosed is that Christians really struggle to disagree well when it comes to political issues. Um, often that's because we elevate political issues to first-order doctrines as opposed to being things that brothers and sisters can disagree about. But it's also because I think we've bought into a myth that those on the other side of the aisle aren't as biblically faithful or aren't as faithful to Jesus as those of us on our side of the aisle. 
we look at a particular issue and say, because they disagree with us on this issue, they must not love Jesus or they must not believe in the Bible. And so what we want to do over the next couple episodes is we want to um, really highlight how that's a myth. And, and the way we're going to do that is we're going to create space to actually explain the biblical underpinnings for our political convictions. Um, before we dive into the issues, we need to understand, well, what's the biblical data that we use to help us come to these conclusions? Why do we really believe what we believe? Is it because of a political theory or an American conviction, or is there really some biblical foundations that lay underneath it all? And so um, we're going to take two episodes because in this episode, Lisa, you're going to share where you come to your political convictions um, from Scripture. What are the passages or what are the, the biblical themes that inform your political understanding? And the next week, I'm going to do mine. And, and as we go, um, I'm going to ask you questions. You're going to ask me questions. But we're not so much going to ask questions for debate's sake. We're going to ask for clarity's sake. Um, because we just want to understand where the other person's coming from. And then when we get to the issues going forward, then uh, debate isn't even really the word, but we're going to have a good discussion about how our different um, biblical convictions or political convictions lead us to certain disagreements. Um, But I hope, my prayer in this, is that we are able to demonstrate we can disagree about important political issues and not anathematize one another, not kick each other out of the kingdom, um, and not kind of um, denigrate the faithfulness of our sisters and brothers in the kingdom because we have um, profound political disagreements. Mm -hmm. So that's my hope in these next couple of episodes. Amen. And that is my hope and prayer as well. And And I like what you said about it being instructive for understanding, because I think that more than anything, I'm hoping is what our listeners get out of what we're doing. Um, It's not to convince, you know, I'm going to lay out a position. It's not to convince anyone to say, hey, this is the biblical approach. And this is exactly the problem because we throw out that term. Well, I'm just being biblical. And it goes back to the episode that we did in season one. And what is that? What exactly does that mean? Um, because what we'll find is that both sides are using the Bible. You know, those who are, you know, who lean right and those who lean left are using the Bible. So, you know, so it, it, so I think that this exchange, this dialogue is really helpful so that we're not, you know, anathematizing people. We're not, you know, denigrating, you know, our brothers and sisters in Christ, like you said. Um, and having a better understanding of where people are coming from. Now, we, that doesn't mean that we have to agree. Um, but at the same time, that we're not going to reduce them to a lesser Christian because of some political additions, as long as it doesn't contradict the word of God, you know. So Right, and, and that becomes part of the, the um, that becomes part of the challenge because neither kind of political persuasion, progressive or conservative, or the the partisan labels, Democrat and Republican, neither one lines up with Scripture. No. Um, 
there, what we'll find, I think our listeners will find is that you're probably going to make a pretty lousy conservative and I'm going to make a pretty (laughs) lousy progressive because (laughs) the goal isn't to be as conservative or as progressive as we can. The goal is to be biblically informed and as faithful to Jesus in the way that we approach our politics. Um, and so let's dive in. Um, Lisa, I'm going to start with a question, then I'm just going to kind of wherever you want to take this, and I'll ask questions as I have questions. Sure. But really, when you start thinking through your approach to um, politics, your approach to um, even specifically American politics, because this would differ from from place to place, Mm -hmm. where do you first turn to in Scripture? Like, what's the first place you go to inform your politic? Well, the first place I go is to Romans 13, 4. Um, and actually starting at verse one, um, where, you know, Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment for rulers are not a terror of good conduct, which is very interesting when you consider when Paul was writing this and the type of government that was in place when he wrote this. Um, So, but then he goes on in um, to say in verse four, for he is God's servant, he being the government for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for it does not bear the sword in vain. So, you know, so for me, that right there lays the premise for, you know, the government is a good. So we want to make sure that, you know, from a Christian perspective, the government that we have, to the extent that we can influence it, is essentially a good, is, you know, essentially um, promotes good for its citizens. Um, And in a way that doesn't hamper or, you know, or or cause us to, um, to violate our, our Christian conscience. So I'm going to, I'm going to say this and I don't want it to be confused with part, you know, with partisanship informing my politics, uh, my faith, because it doesn't in America, we have had the privilege of a foundation that ensures for, I mean, it's a Republic. So it ensures one for checks and balances in government, right? So that government, so that, you know, we don't have, um, or I'm sorry, we are not supposed to have, you know, executive abuses. Um, you know, if each branch of government is doing their job, then it's supposed to be a fairly impartial process so that what's being decided is for the good of the people. Um, So with that said, because we have this foundation already in America, um, that promotes freedom for individuals. That's, I think that that's something to uphold. And I will get into more into that in this episode, definitely. But in, in later episodes, when we talk specifically about religious liberty. So if I'm looking at, so I'm saying, okay, what does good government look like? If it's bit, you know, if I'm looking at it biblically informed now, that doesn't mean that government is going to, um, you know, be a Christian government. 
It doesn't mean that government is, you know, going to do everything that it can to protect Christianity. That is really not our goal. Um, but if so, if I'm looking through the lens of scripture and I'm saying, okay, as a citizen of the United States, as a citizen of God's kingdom, what is it that I think government should do that is going to at least be compatible with Christianity or at least allow Christianity to, um, to be in place, you know, unhindered? Um, so for that reason, I look at, you know, I'm more drawn to a more limited government because it's the, you know, there's this correlation between government and, um, for lack of a better word, control over the livelihood of its citizens. You know, so if you take that to the extreme, you look at communism. You know, and what's going on in China? Well, you know, the state has absolute control of, you know, of its citizens' livelihood. So there is a hampering of what a person, you know, how a person can, can live and worship and, you know, and communicate. Um, so that, you know, so that takes me to now here's where a lot of conservatives go. Um, in terms of this idea of, of, of private property. Well, there is a, a, a creation man, right, mandate, right? We don't want to throw out the creation mandate. We've been put on this earth to be good stewards of what God has given us to, um, to reflect lives that are proclaiming and walking out um, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, so to the extent that we can you know, the reap rewards for our work, reap rewards. That is another thing that we want to be unhindered. Um, so, you know, so that's that said, I, I kind of laid the foundation of, you know, these are things that I think about when I'm looking at um, particular policies, you know, the type of government that I think would be good. So as a Christian, specific values, that I see in scripture, like if I'm looking at the standing, the whole, um, you know, the whole council of scripture, what are things that arise in terms of what, you know, what I would consider good, good for, and not just good for me, but good, you know, what's good for me, but good for society. Can I, can I ask a question sure. before we get into the specific issues, uh, just to make sure I'm, I'm understanding where you're going from in, in Romans 13. So if I'm understanding you correctly, and this is why I want to make sure you correct me if I don't understand, mm -hmm. um, government is inherently a good thing because God has created it. Mm -hmm. um, but government's role is to effectively create the space, um, even by limiting its own power, mm -hmm. for the Christian church to be able to thrive. Mm -hmm. And if the government is too involved, mm -hmm. it actually gets in the way, yes. and it's overstepping the design that God has for it. Is that about... That, I, you said it so much better than, than I well, did. Well, I just want to make sure I'm understanding, because it is a different understanding of, gov of, of the government's role than I have, and that's why I want to make sure I'm understanding okay. where you're coming from. Yes, yes. I think that was well said. Um, and, and the reason that I introduced it by saying the foundation that we already have in place in the United States, if you look at our founding principles, it was designed specifically for 
that that purpose so that we could have that type of freedom. And by the way, it's not a freedom just for me, myself and I. It's it's a freedom that, you know, ultimately affects our families. It affects our communities. It affects the local institutions. So because there's this myth floating around that people who are conservative, who lean conservative are, you know, are individualistic and just out for themselves. No, it's if I'm allowed, you know, if I'm allowed to thrive, that's going to impact a collective. So, um, you know, so that's why I said I made that connection between what was already in place. You know, it's, you know, so you look at, you know, you look at places that have more repressive regimes. I mean, is it, would it be great to advocate for a less repressive regime? Yes. You know, in any, any way that you can support that, but we are still citizens of the kingdom, regardless of what type of government structure we're in. Um, so when I look at, so, when I look at, uh-huh. So, so let me, let me ask this, cause you've, you've looked back towards our founding documents, mm-hmm. right? Um, and one of the ways that the, the word conservative is employed is to, um, it, it's to maybe describe a, a disposition towards the constitution and towards the founding documents that says we want a strict read of the documents, um, it is a, um, this is actually where conservative and liberal originally comes from, a liberal read or a conservative read yes. of the founding documents, right? And one thing that I've um, noticed is among Christians who have a very high view of Scripture, they can often have a very high view of the Constitution as well. And so I wonder if you could um, walk us through that. Is there a connection there in, in the conservative mind? Or, I mean, I, I guess what I'm asking is, What's the difference in how you view the Constitution and how you view the Scriptures? Because I think that's, that's going to be, I think, helpful for someone who's not a conservative um, as we are thinking through these issues. Because I'd be, for example, more willing to change a Constitution than a conservative tends to be. Right. And so I so just like, I wonder, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the hair is on my, <laughs> went on the back of my head when you said that, like, no, don't change the constitution. It's, you know, look, even, look, even, and that, this is the part I know on 4th of July when, um, you know, when people post the, um, you know, Frederick Douglass's speech, um, you know, what, what to July 4th is, you know, what is to the slave July 4th or, you know, I can't remember the exact title, but even he says in that speech that the Constitution is a glorious document. When those are ideals, I'm paraphrasing, but when those ideals are played out fairly and fully. The problem is, is the, you know, it's the misconduct, it's the misappropriation, it's, um, you know, the partiality uh, against it that's, that's been employed. But the concept itself is, you know, I, I do think that it's a glorious document. Um, so I don't, you know, I can't really speak to that correlation of, you know, high view of scripture and, you know, high view of the Constitution. I actually haven't thought of it, to be honest with you. Um, but I, I think now that, you, now that you said that, I do think you're, that you're right. Um, and that's something that I would probably need to process uh, a little, a little more to give a definitive answer. 
Okay, fair enough. So you were before I interrupted you. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> you were okay. going to go. Uh, you were going to go into some issues. That's okay. So and and the issues that you really think about. Right. So you know, in terms of the kind of things that we vote for, the types of policies that we want in place, and I would say the type of infrastructure. Right. So you have, um, you know, you, you at times you have this competition between more freedom and more equality. And by equality, I mean more equality of outcomes. Well, that's what, to the extreme, that's what socialism, you know, tries to, you know, tries to get to. Where the other end of the uh, other end of the spectrum, you have, well, hey, let's give as much liberty to individuals as possible, so that they can then go and, you know, in their collective sense, um, you know, leverage that for the common good. Well. So if I'm looking at script, you know, through the lens of scripture and say, hey, I want to be able to live out my biblical convictions to the best of my ability, what framework is going to allow that? And I think you're absolutely right that and and when I lay out these values, you'll see that there's some issues um, that the right care about and there's some issues that the left care about. So overarchingly, it's God's morality. You know, so we want to live in a society where, I mean, to the extent that we can, and we know that that's not always possible. And our goal is to reflect being a citizen, citizen of the kingdom. But it's, you know, what is going to allow for for the morality, the the right versus wrong that we see in Scripture, God's ethics to be in place. Um, even if we look at the Ten Commandments, right? What is going to allow for that? Now, that doesn't mean, hear what I'm not saying. Yes, we need the Ten Commandment uh, structure on every public <laughs> institution. <laughs> I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that, you know, if we are to be citizens and, and maximize that kind of thriving as a Christian, then we do want policies that will allow for that morality be in place. And then we have the issue of God's sexual ethics, um, which, as you know, has been uh, more increasingly becoming a challenge. So what paradigm is going to more align with God's sexual ethics? So I think I know that you and I are both in agreement about, you know, the fact that he created two genders, man and woman, that in the covenant of marriage, it's between a man and a woman, that homosexuality is a sin, um, and that there are, you know, and those, those are things that we, we want to preserve. So we have that, and then there's the issue of life. Um, in, in thinking about this, I didn't, I didn't, I wanted to come up with specific passages but you can see that all through scripture, you know, this person, you know, this press preservation of life. So that's why we care for the unborn, uh, because we want to preserve that. You know, we want to preserve that life. And oh, by the way, let me just add something else here. Um, you know, part of a conservative paradigm is less reliance on government. But that doesn't mean the private citizens aren't doing what they can to support people you know the difference is do are do we want government to do it 
or is this, you know, are we, do we want more of a reliance on private citizenship? I've seen so much work done, um, you know, through uh, pregnancy crisis centers, um, through caring for women and, you know, and their children once they come. So we really need to, to, to stop this madness about conservatives not caring about babies after they're born. Um, now we can point to specific policies and say, yeah, see, that's, you know, you know, that, yeah, yeah, you're trying to cut welfare, you want welfare to work, you, you know, you don't care, but it doesn't mean that there's a lack of caring going on in private citizenship, if that makes sense. It does. It does. So, so what you're trying to get at is, cause I hear this a lot. Um, some of my, some of the listeners may know that my wife works at a crisis pregnancy center um and this is where she spends she spends a lot of her life caring for women as they're wrestling with this decision of whether or not they're going to carry a baby to term so um this is very close to our family this isn't a theoretical conversation for us um and and there is a uh, an argument that because of a conservative's focus on anti-abortion legislation that they are ignoring legislation that would help children after they're born. And it's the way it's framed is you only care about the baby when they're in utero. You don't care about the baby afterward. And you're saying that's not true at all. Um, not Just because you're not supporting certain policies doesn't mean you don't care. And that's a huge distinction that I think isn't, isn't there. Just because you don't, um, just because you don't support a specific solution to a problem doesn't mean you don't think there should be a solution to a problem. <laughs> exactly. Again, well, again, you said it so much better than I did. Well Absolutely. And it absolutely drives me nuts when I go on social media, you know, and there's this railing against Republicans and against conservatives. And I'm like, guys, don't you, don't you realize the amount of, of work that's being done on the ground? you know, to care for these women and their children, let's stop it. Um, and so you have the, so the issue, so the issue of life. Um, and I, you know, and I'll put this under the framework of care for the church, right? So as citizens of, of you know, we were, so we were born into a family. Loving the body of Christ is just as important as loving Christ. So there's a priority as much as it depends, not, um, you know, do good to all, but especially to the household of faith. And we see that. Yeah. All scripture. I, with that quote, where is that? Can you reference that for us by any chance? Because I, I think, think that'd Galatians, be helpful for folks. To see. Hold on. It's Galatians 6, I believe. I don't know the exact verse, okay. um, but it is in it is in Galatians 6. It's funny, you know, when we memorize these verses, uh, and even when we memorize passages, they start to stack up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We're like, wait, know, exactly, what was the reference? <laughs> especially when you're in your mid-50s, and, you know, the memory, the two sticks aren't just rubbing together just right um, like they used to. <laughs> so you're like, yeah, I know that passage. I have no idea where it is. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> um, hold on, let me... Let me just find it real quick. Here we go. It's 10. It's 10. Six, okay. 10. Okay. So I'm going to read it in the NIV because um, I think it's a little bit different, but it's it gets exactly what you're getting at. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Mm -hmm. That's okay. I, I like I actually like that 
translation better because it really brings out the fullness of what that passage means. And that's really the underpinning of, of everything we see in Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament, um, that we are supposed to consider the interest of the church. And so that's where I look at what, you know, the type of government that will allow for that thriving. Again, we already have it in place. And so I have a, a conviction, and this has, you know, been a growing conviction, I would say, over the past several years. I mean, there, believe it or not, there was at one time I was actually a registered Democrat. And then I, ooh, ooh I know. <laughs> and I know, I know any conservatives listening are like, praise Jesus for deliverance. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, okay. So, um, and then I, you know, spent many years as an independent. And I say over the past decade or so, I, you know, as I, as I think, you know, looking through the lens of scripture, looking at our world and thinking, you know, there are certain policies I want to uphold. There are certain policies that I, I absolutely can't uphold, um, or at least don't. I don't think it's in the best interest. Um, so, you know, so when we talk about issues of religious liberty, that to me is a strong connection to caring for the church, right? So we have, we I don't want to support policies that um, disable the church from being able to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, being able to live out um, God's ethics. Um, and so that for me is a concern when we have too much government overreach is that it then begins to dictate what the church can and cannot do. Um, and I see that very much as in, in, in the interest of the church. Now, I think that's different than we just want to protect Christianity. Well, first of all, Christianity has shown that it will thrive even under the worst circumstances with the worst persecution. So I'm not going there in terms of protecting Christianity because Jesus said, I will build my church. It wasn't contingent upon what type of government that we have. But to the extent that I can support the thriving of the church. That's what I want to do. So we see that. And of course, you know, as you know, religious liberty is, you know, really big on the right. Um, and I would, I would say that, that that's pretty big for me as well. Um, and then we have, wait for it, care for vulnerable populations. So, you know, it's pretty hard. You know, I've been reading through the prophets, pretty hard to dismiss the call to Israel to care for the widow, the orphan, the fatherless, the sojourner, the outsider. And even Jesus showed us his care for the outsider. Now, here's where I draw caution for how we address that. Because Israel was, a, you know, and I know we're going to be in agreement on this. Israel was a theocracy. So it was both a political entity, you know, the nation of Israel, as well as a theological entity. It's, it's God's called out, his ecclesia, his called out ones. And because he only has one body, we can look at the translation of that. In my, my view, the translation of that to the New Testament 
God's called out ones, what do we call it in the New Testament? The church. Well, it's actually the church in the Old Testament. And so I think we need to be careful in terms of what we expect government to do with respect to vulnerable populations. And again, it goes back to this issue of just because you don't want specific policies that address specific things, it doesn't mean that there's a lack of concern or a lack of, of activity um, that cares for that. So I will say um, in terms of my political leanings, this is an area, particularly when we get into issues of poverty, of immigration, that I probably will lean more center. And I would say even maybe more center left. I do think that it is, it's not inherently sinful for nations to, um, to have demarcations, to have, you know, to have border protection. Um, so in, in, in care and protection of their citizenship, we see that in scripture. We definitely see that in the Old Testament. Um, so there, you know, this idea that there's, you know, this idea of open borders, of, you know, that we can ignore those kind of legal demarcations, I, I think it's not, I think it's not a good, a good take. Um, so it's, we do want for government to, you know, to protect those borders. That's not sinful. Of course, maybe how it's done might be uh, a little sinful, but we, and we want to uphold and advocate for policies that are humanizing. Um, and this is where, you know, my personally, I've, you know, really had a big problem with what the decisions that have been made uh, regarding refugees, um, you know, the drastic reduction in the number of refugees that are being, and being accepted. Oh, and by the way, it, it, it blows my mind. Refugees are not illegal immigrants. Resettlement, they are all, they're coming here through a legal process and it's a legal process that involves years and at least 15 different government agencies that are vetting people most of the um, most of the folks that um, you know come through the resettlement that start the resettlement prices process don't even make it to United States because that's how stringent the vetting process is but if we understand the circumstances under which refugees have to flee their country, you know, are being resettled and the conditions that lead to that. I'm just, you know, I'm just hard pressed with such a hard stance that's being taken against refugees. So with that said, it's, you know, so that's kind of, that's kind of my grid. And like you said, a few minutes ago, it, neither side is going to be perfect. I think you're going to find that, you know, there are values. If I'm looking at all of these values, I'm, I'm going to say, okay, there's some on the right and there's some on the right. No, you know, no partisan paradigm is going to be perfect. But what we want to do is say, okay, how do we maximize those values? And for me, that, for me, it's a more conservative agenda that, that maximizes the what gets shortchanged, I think, a little is a care for vulnerable populations. And that's where I have to look at, okay, well, what's being done 
privately. And that's not to say the government is doing nothing. I mean, especially the government that we have in place now. You know, there should be a little bit of a safety net. But we also want to, um, you know, to make sure that people, um, you know, work is a good thing, right? This is what the book of Ecclesiastes tells us. You know, God's creation mandate that, you know, that we're to go out and have, that was his design for us to go out and have dominion. And so now we have to do that in a sinful world, but there's still this idea that I'm going to reap rewards for my labor. Um, and so that's where I have to say, yeah, I'm more drawn to a conservative paradigm because of that. So what you're describing reminds me a little bit of um, a phrase that was coined by President Bush, um, uh, George W. Bush, uh, compassionate conservatism. Yes. Um, is that is that a, a good label for what you're trying to? It's a good. I would say it's a good label for me. Okay. It, yeah. Okay. Definitely. Now you you mentioned the sinful world, and this is a question that I think not just me but a lot of others have is. Um, I don't think I'm hearing this assumption, but an assumption that conservatives can have is if the government gets out of the way, then people will do what is for the common good. We're giving them the space to do what is for the common good. And and, and so can you... Um, the doctrine of sin looms large here. Um, people are sinful. People are broken. So where does your doctrine of sin play into um, the 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 way that not just Christians, but all citizens mm -hmm. will seek the common good. How, is there a place for the government to restrain the sin of people? Um, but where's the line in that restraint? Yeah. So, you know, that's the, it's something I'm wrestling with. Yeah. And, and I would say, you know, where exactly the line is, I think it's tricky. I do think that there, I mean, we have laws for a reason because people are sinful. Um, and so there's this, there's this balance of needing, on one hand, needing restraint slash regulation versus providing opportunities for freedom, for people to go and thrive. And, and, and it's, it's tricky. It's a tricky balance. Um, so where exactly that line is, I, I don't know. But I do believe that there is a place where where we can really strive to maximize both the restraint and the thriving. And maybe that's where some of the disagreement's going to be, is where the line is yes. in that. Um, because because we're both Christians and because we're both Reformed, we're coming at this with a pretty robust doctrine of sin. Mm -hmm. um, we both believe in the doctrine of total depravity, which would say that we are... Um, we are all uh, sinful in every part of our being, mm -hmm. right? That the, the only reason we are not worse than we are is because of the gracious restraining of our sinfulness by God. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's part of the common grace that he works out in the world, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so maybe, you know, when I share next week where I'm coming from um, and why I would be in favor of a larger government may be because of the restraint of sin, and maybe we have a, a different place in where God's government, or or at least God ordained government, can um, can step in and restrain. Right, and I will say this: that this is so. What you're describing in terms of you know the balance between the the role of government and private citizens, and I think that this is the place where the church is supposed to come and fill that gap. 
and come and say, you know, we, out of all people, should, you know, if we're looking through the lens of Scripture, ought to be looking out for what is good. Again, that doesn't necessarily mean that we expect government to do it, but at least let's, you know, let's have an eye for what is good and just and caring. Um, this is why Israel, Old Testament Israel, got in trouble because they were out for, they were not only worshiping gods, but they were selfish and out for themselves. And God imposed judgment on them because that was a product of their unbelief. Um, and this, and, and quite frankly, this concerns me with where the social justice debates are today. You know, now, you, you know, we haven't really talked, you know, gotten into the weeds of social justice. I have some issues with the way that's being handled today in terms of adopting, you know, secular approaches. But at the same time, it's, you know, so my concern is that in that opposing, you know, in that critiquing of what, you know, for secular paradigms that we are, I'm concerned that we are circumventing and short circuiting that care that we are supposed to have for the world. And that's why, even with all of my concerns about what's going on with, you know, in the debates with critical race theory and intersectionality and all of those, um, those discussions, that in that opposition that we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater and, you know, and, and, and putting blinders on to the care that we actually should have in the world. And so you're right. We do live, we, I, I do have a high um, view of depravity in terms of knowing that, you know, man is sinful. And, you know, and so if, you know, if the church is not really doing its job, if it's not really reflecting love of God and love of neighbor, um, then that's where, I think that's where the, uh, that's, that's where the problems lay. Okay. Well, I think that's a helpful, um, at least a helpful entry to where you're coming from politically. And, and as we go through this season, we're going to see some of these foundational uh, convictions play themselves out from issue to issue. Um, but thank you for, for laying this out. And, and I think it's going to be a helpful starting point for us. Next week, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to um, talk a little bit more about all right, here's where I'm coming from. Here are the political convictions I have, but really the biblical convictions that lead me to my political convictions. Um, and I think that's important. It may be a place to stop. Um, we have to be very careful as Christians that our political convictions are secondary to our biblical convictions. They flow out of our biblical convictions. We, we ought not hold a political conviction just because that's our political conviction. But all of our politics should flow out of the scriptures. Amen. Amen. I absolutely agree. Well, that's all for today. I want to thank our listeners for listening to this episode of Family Discussion. We are going to be back next week, um, and we promise we will get into some of the issues that you all are talking about um, around water coolers and in living rooms and in your small groups. We're going to get to them, but first things first, we want to hear where each other is coming from. So, Lisa, thank you for sharing today, and um, we hope to have all of you back here next week for our next episode of Family Discussion. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's family discussion. 
If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next family discussion.